Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Psychology of Music podcast, hosted by the York Music Psychology Group, and dedicated to exploring the fascinating fields of music psychology, music cognition, systematic and empirical musicology. My name is Dr. Mimi O'Neill, and I'm thrilled to welcome you, or to welcome you back. The goal is to share our work with each other in the field, and also to make these exciting topics more accessible to non-specialist audiences. So, whether you are a researcher, a student, a musician, a music lover, or just curious about the way that we interact with music, you're in the right place. We'll feature interviews with experts in the field who are sharing their latest research findings and providing practical insights into how the new knowledge created can be applied. Our first guest of the second series of the Psychology of Music podcast is Dr. Naomi Norton. She studied at the University of Leeds between 2007 and 2012, during which time she completed a BA in music and an MMUS in the Applied Psychology of Music. Her subsequent doctoral studies took place at the Royal Northern College of Music. This research focused on an exploration of health-related topics in instrumental and vocal music lessons from the perspectives of teachers in the UK. Naomi is a committee member for the International Society for Music Education, the Music Health and Wellness Special Interest Group. And Naomi is now a musician with a varied portfolio that includes teaching, research, consultancy and performance. In her own words, the driving force behind her diverse professional activities is the belief that no one should be denied the opportunity to progress to the level of musical proficiency that they desire. So hello and welcome to the Pom Pod, and thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me. If I may, I'd like to start by asking you about your interest in musicians' health and wellness, just quite generally. Where has this interest come from and how has it influenced the, your work as a musician and researcher? Wow, big question to start with. Um, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So yes, musicians' health and wellness is a big focus of my um a career now, um, both as a musician and as a researcher, and this has has a bit of a history. I'll try and be concise. Um, so I started music when I was really young. I was four year old, four years old when I came home and begged my mom and dad to let me play the violin. I'd seen a demonstration at school, um, and has music since then has been a huge part of my life, um, all the way uh, kind of through the Bromley Youth Music Centre and then on to university. Um, not all of my experiences were were positive. I started having kind of back, neck and shoulder pain when I was about 16 or 17. Um, in hindsight, certainly not a coincidence, but it was when I started taking music that bit more seriously. I was practicing more, taking part in loads of activities every week, and as a result, dropped the competitive swimming I had been doing, um, which all makes a lot of sense when you look at it from years years ahead uh, I still made it into the University of Leeds to do the performance course and I did pretty well in my first year but then the second year preparation for going abroad brought everything to a head in terms of the pains I've been having for a few years and they were finally explained following a guest lecture from a rheumatologist as a result of hypermobility which is fantastic for doing party tricks but a risk factor for musculoskeletal problems the um, the diagnosis of hypermobility syndrome was a relief in some ways. It meant I knew what was wrong. 
but it was a huge challenge in others, particularly for my identity as, at that point, the violinist. Um, so the year after that, I kind of disengaged from music. I dropped all the modules I'd been doing to prepare to go abroad, stopped playing in orchestras, and didn't re-engage until after a, a, a rather eye-opening experience at a folk festival violin session where I remembered how much I do love music and violin and how much I have learned and have to offer, offer even if it wasn't as a professional performer. And at that point, I remembered my love of psychology, my curiosity and the desire to know how things work and kind of harnessed that to a rather fresh passion to try and change things for the better. Um, and that resulted in a return to my music degree with a minor dissertation investigating the health of university music students and a major dissertation researching hypermobility in musical environments. And I guess the rest is kind of history because I realised that was what I was good at. I did a master's and then a PhD in music psychology and really got my teeth into investigating in particular the influence that instrumental and vocal teachers have on the health of their pupils. And fast forward somewhat more years than I care to count but now I realize that what started as a, a personal passion has matured into a kind of a professional interest and area of expertise so I'm now the musician's health and wellness coordinator for music at York which is a role I developed to bring together all the great stuff that was already going on and work together to build on that I've developed a module for undergrads that's quite literally called musician's health and wellness and have run that for three years with great results for the students and also a mountain of data for me to analyse as a research project. And it's rather nice at the moment. I'm being approached left, right and centre by colleagues to talk to their students and to talk to other people about um, how musicians can protect and promote their health and work. And um, I've also just returned to playing the violin again properly after a break of about five years, thanks to a broken arm and two children. Um, which said in the same breath sounds uh, a bit worrying, but um, <laughs> they both resulted in a loss of time from playing. Um, but that break has, does mean that I now have a fresh appreciation for what it means to be a musician and play with others and make music to share with music lovers. So what seemed like an absolute calamity when I was 19 years old has shaped me into the musician and researcher I am now. And I'm not sure I can say I'm glad it happened, but I am glad I've had the support needed to turn that the uh, turn the lemons into lemonade, if you will. Yeah, totally. And and many people will have benefited from that trajectory, even if it wasn't what was first planned. Um, and you you said it a little bit there, but you've been exploring the responsibilities of teachers in all contexts, um, schools, one to one, higher education, etc. Their responsibility in supporting students to curate healthy habits, if you like, um, and including your own lecturing, of course. How has this been received by the students that you teach or the other practitioners that you talk to? Mm, it's an interesting question. Um, when I started down this avenue, I was warned by a few people that this interest could be received pretty badly by teachers, as it might be perceived as an attack on their profession, and they may feel defensive as a result. Um, but what I am interested in and what my, my PhD was about was the teacher's perspective on these things. And I think what had been done previously was trying to tell teachers what they should be doing rather than finding what, out what they're already doing and what they 
would like to do and have support to do. So um, I think my position as a musician, not a medical professional, and a teacher myself um, have made me more, um, I guess, approachable or more accepted in some ways um, by the, the teachers I've worked with. Um, on the rare occasions someone has reacted badly to my research or my interest or um, negatively, then usually we have managed to talk about it and find some way of everyone having something new to digest. Some, case, some cases the teachers I've worked with have never thought about health and wellness as a topic in their planned curriculum for pupils. And it's always really heartening to work through with them all the things they're already doing um, and how they can build on that both for themselves and for their pupils. And that's something I always talk about is it's not just about our pupils, it's about us first and foremost as teachers because we matter too. Um, some teachers have thought about it a lot and done their own research and maybe are frustrated by the lack of training. So it's been rewarding to have um, sessions on this topic and, and learn together. So I guess I am very lucky to have had a, an overwhelmingly positive reception, I would say. Um, there's always things to learn, um, both for me and for, for others. Yeah, exactly. And and actually that role of lecturer and researcher, they overlap more acutely um, in, in your case than is perhaps typical of your average lecturer or researcher. Can you tell us a bit about the benefits and maybe also the challenges um, of this sort of research and practice approach? Sure. So, um, yeah, I mentioned I've developed this module for undergraduate students at York, um, the Musicians Health and Wellness one, and also run a research project. And that research product project is in a nutshell, looking at the effects of that module on the health-related beliefs and behaviours of the students. So I'm both their lecturer and also the lead researcher on the project that some of them chose to take part in. Um, and that means, that means, as you say, an overlap of, of roles. There's lots of benefits for me in terms of getting to learn more about what I have designed and how it's actually worked out in practice. So in that way, it's a form of scholarship of teaching and learning research. I also get to do this as a research project, project that will hopefully result in publications and further research. So it's useful to have uh, research right on my doorstep, so to speak. Um, my hope is that doing this research and sharing it Sharing the outcomes will contribute to the kind of growing body of evidence regarding the best ways to empower musicians to be healthy and create healthy environments. Um, for my students, I guess there's benefits in that I'm I'm have been hyper aware of the value of what I'm teaching them and my role as the person sharing that with them. This was the, that was the first module I convened and. Um, so I was already pretty dedicated to doing a good job, but planning the research project at the same time also meant I felt I could, could really go the extra mile. Um, but challenges, um, two different hats and only one head. Uh, the, the potential for a conflict of interest between my role as a researcher and an, and an educator. So sometimes there's a very clear way for something to be done that would either benefit the research or the education. And I made the choice very firmly and consistently and ethically to choose that educator hat over the researcher hat. So making assurances to my students that their education would always come ahead of research outcomes. 
Um, and there's an interesting in some of the reading I've been doing about this uh, paper by Roberts and Allen, they've they've commented on some earlier research where they said teachers have a primary obligation to their students, whereas for researchers, the primary obligation is to their field of expertise, um, which I think is quite a nice summary of that, that different view on this situation. Mm. Um, the students also need to be able to give informed and voluntary consent. And if things are presented as all of a all of the same as this is your this is your module, they may not realise it's voluntary. Um, so that's another challenge to meet. Uh, and making sure that um, I'm not just using the students because they're there, but because they are the ones that my research is about. Um, so those are some of the kind of challenges, and I am. I'm actually going to talk about them in the Music Cognition Matters um, session uh, on the Friday the 22nd, I believe. Did I get that plug right, Mimi? Yes, flush on, well done. <laughs> Brilliant. So, yes, I'm, I'm going to explore those a bit further. And, and it's something I really thought a lot about when I was planning this research and had a lot of support with. It, do you know, it's been really rewarding to have seen this project at several stages. Um, so you mentioned that hopefully this project it benefits the participants but and it will also lead to sort of publications have you thought at all about how to communicate the findings to a more general or less specialist audience which is really well aligned with the the aims of this podcast i guess uh the, the i'm hoping the presentation might be viewed by a, a, a one for the music cognition matters series so that's great thanks for the opportunity um, I am hoping to publish it as a scholarship of teaching and learning article, which still isn't a general audience, I appreciate, but um, also maybe there's a scholarship of teaching and learning group at the University of York. Um, so so getting sharing what I'm doing with them. Um, do you have any other ideas for me? <laughs> well, I, I suppose um, specifically no, but more generally maybe uh, communicating it to teachers in a wider context not just in higher education you're already doing that actually um mm. through sort of symposiums and and other events that you organize so so more of that yeah. is, I suppose I guess I think one of the things I hope with my all of my research and my and my teaching in particular is that um recognizing the effects that just one person can have um so if we if one person makes a small change or tells another person then those ripples go on forever and that's that's something I think is really important um, is trying to <laughs> trying to drop the right stones in the right ponds <laughs> to make the right ripples. Um, but yeah, I think I think I could think of more ways. The, the specificity of thinking about research conducted by academics on um, their students means it has maybe in some ways a limited audience. But mm. I think the um, the more general ideas about what our priorities are when we're teaching are certainly something that can be communicated more widely. Yeah, sure. And actually, let's not forget that all the students you teach, many of them will go on to themselves teach in some form, any context, and they'll think of this, hopefully, because they'll have I, had that training. Yeah, I hope so. And I think that that is one of the things where um, we have to be transparent in these in our teaching. So making sure that um, students are aware of maybe some of the things that we are doing and their reasons so that if they do go on in the future to do um, to teach they will remember not just what happened but also the why it happened so I think that that transparency in um, in what we teach is is another way of ensuring the, the kind of the legacy um, mm. that the legacy is robust 
rather than just a fragile copy of what we've done. The big pedagogic questions. If you were to give musicians sort of three top tips, for example, for protecting their health and well-being, what would they be? Uh, wear sunscreen. Um, although I think someone's already taken that piece of advice. <laughs> Um, I'm only allowed three. I might have to be quite quite general. So sure. I think the first one would be to cater to the basics first. Musicians supposedly are, are people, um, uh, apparently, and so those basic needs relating to sleep, food, hydration, exercise are vital and shouldn't be forgotten. So I think sometimes we get so caught up in ourselves as musicians, we forget... Um, we forget our basic needs. So that would be my first one, consider the basics. And then um, do your own homework about finding what you can do individually to promote health and wellness. There are lots of fact sheets and things out there about these topics. So um, yeah, picking something that you want to change your, for yourself and then working on one thing at a time and using um, kind of the, there are strategies from behaviour change science that can be used to actually help people make a change instead of just hoping they might make a change. So, so basics first and then something individual to work on for yourself. Um, and then finally, I think it would be acknowledging that we don't exist in a vacuum. So my top tip would be to think about the effect that you have on other musicians' health and wellness because what goes around comes around. <laughs> And we all contribute to that, the culture that we live in and model that for everyone around us. So that that's that can make a big difference. Again, this idea of ripples. Mm. Um, and also slightly less altruistically, giving has been identified as one of the five ways to well-being. So by giving to others, you also um, think about yourself in that way. So, yeah, basics, something for you, something for others my top three top tips well, I love that we should get that printed and put it up in important places <laughs> um and you you slightly mentioned um fact sheets and resources if musicians or researchers or you know just anyone actually wanted to find out more are there resources that you would signpost them to there are and actually there's increasing amounts of you know resource fact sheet type things out there which is is wonderful in many ways um if you just google a specific topic topic you know hearing health for musicians then you'll come up with a fair amount um obviously then taking check taking care to check the sources and qualifications yeah. um if there's a specific topic people are interested in they can email me um that I, I might be able to then point you in the right direction um, I'm not a qualified medical professional, but I'm very good at signposting. So um, if people are looking for medical advice, I would always recommend the British Association for Performing Arts Medicine in in, the, in Britain. Um, or for international listeners, there's an increasing number of other kind of country or continent specific organisations where people can get either medical advice or um, good quality resources as well. As well as chatting to me for the podcast, you will be, as you say, presenting as part of the Music Cognition Matters speaker series. Can you give us a brief overview of what you're going to cover in your presentation? Sure. Um, it's going to be a bit interactive because I would like, I'm actually interested in what the people who come to that session think. I'm going to be exploring further that idea of the um, ethics of doing research 
uh, with students that we're also teaching. So I've been um, I've been looking at literature about this, and there isn't any that I can find in music um, about the ethics of this. There's some kind of reference, very very passing reference to it in uh, the performing music research book. Currently, a bit of a bible for uh, for doing this kind of research. Um, but there's lots of uh, well, I say lots. There's a fair amount of research from um, like nursing journals mm. and also scholarship of learning and teaching research. So I'm going to provide some of the kind of key points to do with um, what has been found in literature from other disciplines. Um, and then I'm going to hold up my own research and what I did as a kind of a case study and critique against what the other people said we should have done. Um, and then open it up for discussion as to what people what, what people think about this, whether they um, think there's more that could have been done or whether it's too much or whether it's... Um, whether there's a an area there's there's scope for this to be developed further within music education um or even just music well i guess music at higher higher education level in particular and mm. um, not necessarily music education as a you know the teaching of music lessons This research is but one of the many projects that you have worked on. Is there something else exciting that you're currently working on that we should look out for? Oh, uh, exciting things. Um, aside from the raising of two, two members of the future human race, um, mm. beautiful daughters, uh, that has dominated my life. Uh, I've just returned from maternity leave for the youngest one of them. So that's quite exciting. You can watch out for them in whatever they do in the future. I'll be taking well. credit, obviously. <laughs> um, aside from that, there's a few things that I have come back and started thinking about. So there's a few book chapters um, I'm working on. One of them's for about um, healthy piano pedagogy. So I'm, I'm writing that with the co-author and thinking about uh, the unseen influences on our um, teaching as part of a, another book. So things about philosophy and how we approach teaching kind of with my research hat on I'm also doing another book chapter in the same book about um contributing to that about identity um so that's been interesting chatting with um co-authors recently um the analysis of the research um for the musicians health and wellness project needs to commence um I've got a mountain of data that I'm really keen to get my teeth into so that will be um coming reasonably soon hopefully um other than that I guess it's there's there's always bits and pieces going on um mm. but uh yeah I guess those are some of the big things yeah great I mean they're all sound great so we'll we'll definitely look out for them um and then my final question is have you read anything particularly interesting recently that you would recommend to others I mean, most of the recent reading I've been doing recently has been uh, looking at this idea of the ethics of um, research with students. And one of the things I'm I'm quite interested in that research that I'll be kind of exploring in that presentation is um, how students perceive themselves. So one of the reasons that um, we are supposed to be careful as lecturers slash researchers is, is this conflict of interest and our students may be feeling vulnerable mm -hmm. and then there's quite an interesting paper 
really recently, actually, published in 2023 from the Scholarship of Teaching and Learning by um, Lise et al., um, reconceptualizing participant, participant vulnerability in scholarship and of teaching and learning research, um, and looking at the health faculty, faculty students in New Zealand and some of their research, basically looking at the student perspective who don't feel vulnerable, but whether they don't feel vulnerable as a result of all the things that have been done to help them not feel vulnerable. But I think that's that has been an inter interesting contrast for me that I'm keen to explore and it's yeah it's interesting interesting um subtle paper um forgive me what does subtle stand for uh, scholarship of teaching and learning research subtle um yes uh, wonderful acronyms hey so i guess that's an interesting <laughs> paper um and i've enjoyed enjoyed kind of delving into some research from different fields um and identifying what looks like a gap in music music education music psychology yeah, that's a great recommendation because actually I think a lot of people, regardless of their specific interests, would would benefit from that. Thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your work with me. I'm very much looking forward to your Music Cognition Matters presentation. You can join us for Naomi's presentation at 1pm British Summer Time on Friday the 22nd of September. All of the information on how to join the Zoom call can be found on our website, which is mus-cog-matters.glitch.me. Thanks for listening and I hope to welcome you back for our next episode.